Hello everybody, this is the first episode of the Celtic Rewind Specials. In this special, we will be talking about stopping 10 in a row. Quite ironic in this season, I know, but sure, everyone needs a bit of happiness. I am delighted to be joined by another fellow Celtic who knows a lot about that era. Um, his name's Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Good, Stephen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks for asking. Just let the people know a wee bit about your Celtic history and what it was like growing up through that era and how you felt as a fan. Um, well, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't the best time. I mean, you know, the dead club doing nine wasn't wasn't great when they were winning trebles and seemingly there was no end to it. Um, first first game I kind of remember would have been there was a three three game in the ninety five ninety six season against Rangers where Andreas Tom scored an absolute wonder goal. Um, that would be the first clear memory I would have of watching Celtic. Uh, obviously yeah. it would have been before that but that's the first clear one and then yeah. the season after would have been my first game at Parkhead yeah, what, what game was that? Uh, there was a 3-0 win towards the end of that season at home to Aberdeen brilliant, brilliant. At, least, at least it was a win you went to anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> so basically what's going to happen okay? in this special we're going to talk about loads of range and topics okay so I was only five, I think, when Celtic stopped 10 in a row, but I've always wanted to know what it was like as a fan during that era. We've we've seen a lot of success recently, maybe not so much this season, but that particular era, I always want to know about it. I want to learn a bit more information, as much as I can about Celtic, because it's a club I love. So, Ren, the feeling get into that season, when we had to stop the 10, what was it like? Did you feel we could do it with Wim Janssen? And also, if you put in there, the loss of George Cadetti, Van Hoy Doink, and the Canio, with that team... Without them three, did you think that team could, could go on and stop the ten? Were you confident? Well, um, when when came in, obviously Tommy Burns had left, which was was a blow at the time. And then, as you say, we lost the three amigos pretty much back to back. Uh, so Wim had to basically go and rebuild the team um, across Glasgow. Of course, Rangers were spending money like nobody's business, and everybody wondered how they were signing Alexa Perini from a Juventus team that were. Reaching European Cup finals and I mean, Brian Lerdrup was there. That was the summer they signed Lorenzo Amoruso, Jonas Tern. They signed Catuso uh, from Perugia, I think it was at the time. Um, yeah. So yeah, they were they were spending big money, and Celtic had to rebuild the team. On top of the three amigos, you also lost Paul McStay to retirement, and if I remember right, that was the summer Peter Grant left. So, you know, you'd, you'd lost good Celtic men as well, although maybe in a roundabout way that ironically helped because there was players coming in who maybe didn't feel the pressure of having to stop the 10 as much as, you know, your Peter Grants and your Paul McStays would have. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Touching upon, obviously, you said that recruitment was a big, big major thing, losing all them players. Obviously, McStay as well, he quit free injury, so he had to retire. So in terms of the summer recruitment, I have down here, we're saying Jonathan Gold. I mean, he was at Celtic a long time even, and then only Lira, he was there. Also got Craig Burley, uh, Stefan Mahi, uh, Reggie Blanker. So in terms of the signings, did you think that improved the squad, or did you still think they were lacking getting into the, that season of all seasons? I mean, you looked at it, you know, Jonathan Gould, I think, was Bradford's third-choice keeper at the time, and you were kind of... I mean, obviously, before that, you were watching... Stuart Kerr, Gordon Marshall, you know, so anything was probably an improvement, but yeah, um, you, you know, Bradford's third choice keeper. If Celtic signed that now, people would be throwing the head up and wonder. <laughs> I, 
I mean, we're, we're, we're ironically Plymouth, probably third choice keeper in most setups anyway, and Scott Baines. No, I know that, but you know, like, but, um, yeah. Mahi, I'm not sure who many people really knew much about Mahi. Craig Burley, you know, had played in the Premiership and all, and people have their opinion on Craig Burley now, but he was absolutely massive that season and all stopping yeah. the 10, like. And the goals um, as well, he, he, he helped with the squad, like. Yeah. Uh, Reggie Blinker, there's times I wonder, like, I think Reggie Blinker was one of the, the poorest Celtic players I've watched, and then other times I think back and go, no, he had a few cracking games, but he'd absolutely no heart. You know, there yeah. was times he was getting into, they weren't even 50-50s, they were 60-40, 70-30 in his favour, and he was pulling out, and you were wondering what he was doing, but, I mean, he had the ability, it just, maybe not the full package. Yeah, no, 100%. In terms of the, the recruitment as well, obviously that summer, Janssen returned to his former club for probably the best player in Celtic's history, more likely is the best player in Celtic history in Henrik Larsson. But at that, at that point, he was £700,000 coming from Farnold, and not many people knew of him. And little did we know he would turn out to be the player he would be. And as we're going to talk about, his first touch of the ball ironically led to, I think it was probably the first game of the season against Hibs, wasn't it? Uh, Chick Charlie, yeah, Chick Charlie got the ball and he drove home from around 25, 30 yards, and they won two one. So yep. you're looking, you're looking at that, going, "Oh my God, what's happening?" What do you think at that point was the Celtics fans' opinion on Henrik Larson? What, well, uh, in all honesty, if I can skip ahead a game as well, I went to the first home game of that season. We lost two one to Dunfermline. Um, yeah, so. There was a few people remember Sweden had finished third in the 94 World Cup and there was a few people remembered Henrik from that team but then yeah. he was playing more as an attacking midfielder than the striker he ended up. Um, but he came off the bench that day against Hibs and I mean, oh, it was shocking. And Hibs got relegated that year so, you know, losing your first game to Hibs and then you go to Parkhead, you get beat 2-1 again by Dunfermline and, you know, Rangers of Marco Negri across Glasgow banging them in and you're going, here we go, yeah. like we're not even going to put up a fight. Um, ironically, after the first two games, I think a lot of people thought Henrik was a bit of a dud. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, but uh, obviously a lot of people were proved wrong on that front. Um, yeah. The other memory I would have had was actually coming home on the boat from the the Dunfermline game and my uncle's made it going into an absolute r- drunken rant about how the 10 was already, they'd basically already won the 10 and when Janssen needed to go, I mean, we were two games <laughs> into the season, but you say, you it say, shows you, you say that You, you say there are two games, in, two games into the season, but ironically as we're six points adrift, so there'll be a lot of Celtic fans up in arms, you can obviously imagine the tension at that, at that time, I mean, the, the the feeling amongst fans must have been, oh my god, this is happening again, and where, where was the fight going to come from? So, in terms yeah. of your uncle, you, you can you can probably expect that. Do you know what I mean? What what did you feel? What what did you feel in your own heart at that at that time? Well, I mean, if I if I remember right, after two games we were bottom of the league, so you're looking at it going <laughs> like, you know, this was a Rangers team that I mean, it had your Andy Gorons, your Ali McCoy, your York Alberts, Brian Loudrop, as I say, that added, or Lorenzo Amoruso. Gattuso uh, wasn't the player he was now, or not now, but that he became to be then. But, you know, yeah. th- th- he was expected to be a, 
a quality player, you know, Marco Negri was unreal for them up till Christmas. He scored something like, I think it was about 37 goals in all competitions. And then That's he, he got an eye injury. And supposedly it was from playing a squash game and he got hit in the eye with a squash ball. But rumours in the years since were that uh, Sergio Perini found out he was having an affair with his missus and slapped him about a wee bit. I don't know what the... <laughs> I don't know what the true story is. I mean, Rangers kind of always so, stuck the squash story, but Margot Negri didn't kick much of a ball after Christmas, from what I remember, with the injury. So maybe maybe Alt was lucky. Cause, I mean, 37 goals at Christmas. I mean, he was on course to probably score more than Henrik did the year we won the treble yeah. under own. So in, in, all, in all thing you're saying, the Rangers camp turned into an episode of Big Brother. <laughs> Well, I mean, if that rumor's true, but I mean, Marco Negri did disappear quickly after it, so. <laughs> um, it probably is, but t- touch the back to the Dunfermline again. Not so long after that, we did have back to back games against the Johnson, where Larson did score a wonderful diving header I have down here. So, in terms of yeah. Larson, he was starting to bring himself out, out of his shell and come into that strike and roll. And then we also added in, if I'm correct here, Mark Raper, was it, if I'm correct, the uh, central defender? Danny Sutherland. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was a touch of class. I mean, he made Alan Stubbs look... Uh, him and Alan Stubbs at the back, it was solid, you know. Um, Reaper coming in, and I'm sure you'll touch on it further later, or we'll touch on it further later, and then later on in the season, Paul Lambert and me were two, yeah. two massive signings that year. Um, yeah, it, it it's the old story, you know, everybody says about a strong spine in the team, and we probably mm. didn't have that at first until... Your Reaper and your Lambert come in, you know. What 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 was it about Reaper that made a big difference to that team? Do you think it was just experience and, as you said, a touch of class? Yeah, uh, he seemed to organise the back and give them a bit more confidence. And uh, with a consistent back four, then you know, yeah, it was Tom Boyd or Jackie at right back, and then Reaper Stubbs Mahe most of the season from memory. Um, yeah. So, you know, the consistency as well, you know, when a back four plays together and then they seem to, ironically, as I was saying, you know, he was Bradford's third choice, but they seem, him, them with uh, Jonathan Gould seem to be a good unit for us that season. Yeah. No, let's see, in terms of the team going up into them St. Johnson games, and obviously Jansen did study the ship, there was progress made in all fronts, the league, the League Cup, and also Europe in the UEFA Cup. But before we get into the European side of things, what games stick out in your memory up until then that were the up until where we've talked about are key points in that the ten the ten seasons? Is there anything that sticks out in your mind quite clearly? That St Johnston game that you spoke about, I think wasn't wasn't that far into the season, and yeah, I, I wouldn't have been no. Was that the first league one? I think maybe. Yeah, we got the first league one. Yeah. yeah, it was a, it was a double header. I think one was in the cup, one was in the league. Yeah, so there was. That game was nil-nil, and Jonathan Gold pulled off an absolute wonder save. And then not long after, I think we went up the other end, and Henrik scored that diving header you you mentioned. And I can't remember if we were one up at the time or that Henrik's goal was the opener, but that seemed to be a massive moment. You know, as early in the season yeah. as it sounds, we, we go one nil down there, and you know you're looking down in a barrel of, of losing a game. Is it going to be nine points? You know, where's the win coming from? But that yeah. game seemed to seemed to start something that season. Yeah, it was like it was like a kickstart type of thing. It was like yeah. you get this you get well, this that, game done. Yeah. 
you know, they the played Barrick Rangers in the League Cup, and I think they put seven past Barrick, and then, as you say, you know, progress in the League Cup further, and Europe as well, you know, so every wee win yeah. was just building a bit of momentum, and it was, it was all about Rangers. Yeah, that's what it was. It was. It's just all about trying to get them steps on the Rangers to put pressure on them, which is something that we haven't done this season at all at any stage. We've kind of just handed Rangers a title and went, "There you go, we give up in the ten. And yeah. as you said, as you said there, as you said there as well, Ren, the European side of things was something that a lot of Celtic fans they love about Celtic, the European nights. And one of the games that stick out that season, and one of the games I have noted down here, I want to talk to you about is the Liverpool game. Well, Liverpool games. What mm-hmm. outstanding memory do you have from there? Because I tell you one thing, I would have loved to have been seeing that game in that stadium for that game. Like because it sounds brilliant. The two-two draw does sound so thrilling. It sounds so fantastic. What was your memories from it? Well, I wasn't at it, but if I go back around first, the Terrell Innsbruck game in the qualifier was at Parkhead was absolutely mental. Would you beat two-one in Austria? And it just went back and forth. We were through. We were out in the Eagles. We were through. We were out in the Eagles. And ironically, Henrik scored his, his first goal at Parkhead that night in the wrong end. But uh, obviously, if I'd seen And then, as you say, we played Liverpool. And, and uh, they scored early on. And then we came back. But we're winning 2-1. And shades of what would happen later in the season against Rangers. Steve McMahon picks a ball up the halfway line. And you're screaming, somebody tackle him, somebody tackle him. And he just runs through and... Equalises in the last minute, and yeah. we went out to Wales then. But see, in terms of that that game, round the Liverpool game would—I know it ended in a two-two draw, and as you said, the defensive errors led to the second goal where McManaman scored. But would that, not, as a Celtic supporter, even a Celtic player, then give you confidence that you can go toe-to-toe with Rangers for a course of a season? Because Liverpool, I know as much as people don't like to say it, they're a big club down in England, big club in the world as well. So if you're going toe to toe with them, you're not getting beat. You're keeping clean sheets at Anfield. Does that would that not give you confidence as a Celtic fan that you can maybe do something in this league? Yeah, the away game at Anfield probably did more. I mean, we drew nil nil, but if I remember rightly, Simon Donnelly missed a couple of chances down there, and we probably could have got through. Mind you, mm. you know the argument would be maybe they maybe had gears to go up. You know, you don't know, but I mean, we certainly give as good as we got, and as you say, probably. Not only give the fan base a bit of confidence, but made the team think, right, you know, we're clicking together here and we can maybe at, at least put up a fight, you know, to not just hand them. Yeah, yeah that, and uh, touching upon that game as well, there's a few players I've noted down that played a big part in that. McNamara scored and Donnelly scored. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of, of the season, up until halfway, won't go any further halfway yet, in terms of the season... High big of players was like the likes of Simon Donnelly and Jackie McNamara, just to add that bit of steel to the team and goals as well. Is that something that came across to the Celtic support? Yeah, I mean, Simon Donnelly. I was unfortunate the way Simon Donnelly ended up leaving the club. I thought Simon Donnelly was a smashing player. Um, didn't do much once he left Celtic, as a lot of players don't. But at that yeah, time, like, I, I thought he was he was probably one of the best players we had in that squad at the time. Um, again, I mean, Jackie's... Again, Jackie left in unfortunate circumstances in the end, but mm. Jackie's a Celtic legend. There's no... Yes, yeah. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, but yeah, the likes of them, and people have their opinions on him, as I said earlier, but Craig Burley was... I mean, some of the, the, 
really vital goals that season that Craig Burley scored were if you don't have Craig Burley that season, you don't stop the ten. And I mean, is that how, has that how strongly you feel about him? If we didn't have Craig Burley, we wouldn't have stopped the ten. I think he was a big part of it. You know, obviously not him on his own, but some of the goals. Yeah. There was a game. Um, my uncle was over at just before Christmas because he was he actually drove a supporters bus over, and he was just about to leave the stadium. We were home to Hearts, and he got to the top of the the set of steps just at the exit and something made him turn around and just as he turned around Craig Burley chested the ball down and scored and I think it was about 10 minutes to go or something and yeah. you know there's two there's another two points dropped and at that stage you know we I remember we I was at a game in October at Hunderson Johnson we won 3-0 and I think that was the first time that season we went top of the league so you know it shows you how quick that season turned but yes, I mean the atmosphere coming out that day was unreal. You know, people were buzzing, thinking, right, there's a chance here. We're not just handing Rangers this. You know, they're not. The Walter Smith had already announced he was leaving, so it was like he's not getting his big send off. You know, um, that yeah, that kind of drove that kind of drove the Celtic the Celtic players to be like, now nah, we're not giving him what he deserves. Take this title away, be back where it belongs, type thing. Yeah. And, in, ter- in terms of the Liverpool game, well, I may want to move on to this because I don't know maybe if you've uh, heard about this or seen this, but a, a lot of Celtic fans, there's been a lot of rumours as well that Davy Hay, you, you remember Davy Hay, yeah? Yep. He quit as an assistant manager because he fell out with uh, Jack Brown. Now, obviously, that doesn't sound big, but in a grand scheme of things, in a team a team effort that season, how fatal was that? or? Hi, Bob, was that maybe get the team to lose confidence again, that they're not a unit, that they're not going forward together? Was that something that concerned the Celtic fans at that time, or was it just waved away, but the team's just going to stay on the pitch and do the job? To be honest, I don't remember much about that happening myself. Um, yeah. Again, Jack Brown is another name that, at the end of his time at Celtic, wasn't exactly the best. Um the thing was, I don't actually think... The, the thing that I found strange was I don't actually think when got the pick as one assistant because when Davy Hay left, it was Murdo McLeod. So I don't know how much it affected or didn't affect things. Maybe it did in the sense of women coming in, as I say, play, people like that who aren't under as much pressure because they're not out-and-out Celtic men to stop the 10, but having a Celtic mom beside them to sort of try and drive home the point that while yeah. you don't want them under that level of pressure that the 10 still couldn't happen yeah. but I so, mean as I say it was just I think that season more people were just focused on what was happening on the pitch and making sure the 10 didn't happen yeah so it was just basically like whatever goes on behind the scenes type thing keep that in house and we just rattle on here with the team type thing maybe, yeah. maybe not just as simple as that but yeah basically you know I think I think it was just trying to keep everything steady and as I say stop the 10 which <laughs> which we'll get to at the end to see if we're done that but obviously we know we did but in terms of the games as well we're going to touch upon here the first Rangers game at Ibrox that we played um, on the eve of that game there was a lot of thing going around that Tosh McKinley had a, a bust up with Larson and it left him with yes. a black eye did you did you know much about that, or did, did do you think that's just a rumor, or do you think that's true? Well, I don't know what the truth was, but I mean the Scottish press jumped all over it, as you can imagine. You know, supposedly yeah. Toy's head, but it Henrik and 
blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, there was a program I remember watching on BBC Scotland that was, you know, they do a series and there was one on that team, uh, the 97-98 team. And yeah. at the time, supposedly it was the Scandinavian players sort of done their own thing and uh, because there was a lot of Scandinavian players about at the time with maybe the likes of Mahé and Blinker and then the Scottish players without drinking and all a wee bit more and whatnot, trying to build camaraderie. But uh, from what was said on that programme, whether or not the bust-up was, you know, there was more made of it or what, it seemed to yeah. bring people together more, you know. And, like get, galvanise the team? Because yeah, you, you, know, need, you, you need that type of fire and a, and a dressing room environment because you've seen it so many times with certain teams. If you're too soft, you don't get nowhere. And I think that's a lot of what a lot of people find hard to get now because we look at the teams we're watching now and they don't have that backbone. I know we've still got Scott Brown, but he's getting older now and he's maybe losing a bit of influence that he had. You need that type of strong character in a dressing room to, to take you forward. And if, if you're getting scrapes, you're getting scrapes. But at the end of the day, it's the team effort, especially in a season like that. And in the yeah. Ibrox game itself, Ren, I'll, I'll ask you this because in a, fa- in, a, in a fan's point of view, how, how confident did you feel you get into that game? Well... Before that, we were actually meant to play Rangers before that that season, but the game got rearranged. The first one was meant to be a parkhead. The game got rearranged yeah. because of Princess Diana's death. So we were playing yeah. Rangers twice in a matter of 11 days, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're looking at it at that stage and you're going, we have to we have to win one of them. You know, you're thinking we have to win one of these games. Um, you're probably looking at winning them on a parkhead more because, I mean, it was... I think it was 2001 before we won an Ibrox again. That was seven years or something. So, you know, the record then at Ibrox wasn't great. You you kind of thought, how many how many can we keep this down to in some ways? As terrible as that sounds, you, you know, you didn't want to go yeah. in that at it. But as I say, with the team that they had at the time, and I mean, as it's been proven, maybe shouldn't have had. But... <laughs> yeah, no, you're 100% right. And in the game itself, how, how did it evolve? What what type of things were you seeing? And was Celtic playing well? Were they getting in their faces? That type of thing? Because obviously the what Rangers did end up winning the game 1-0. And I think Marco Negri scored, if I'm correct. No, yeah. that, that, Richard, Richard Goff got the winner that day. Oh, um, Richard Goff. Yes, I can still remember. It was, oh, it was a poor goal to give away. But a lot of Celtic Rangers games then basically went to the pattern that Andy Gorman just stopped everything we hit at him and they broke up and scored one or, you know, they broke away and scored and then we maybe could beat two or three because the heads went down because they just couldn't put the ball past Gorham. Um, that day, yeah. as I say, Richard Goff scored, run away, giving it both hands in the air, 10, 10, 10, to the, the main stand at Ibrox, which, as you can imagine, was going absolutely ballistic. And you're looking yeah. at it going, well, there you go, we've lost the first derby again. You know, and then there was a there was also a rumor at the end of that season on the championship t-shirts. Celtic had a quote, "Smell the glove," and the rumor is that day that Andy Gorham walked past the dressing room, sniffed the glove, and threw it into the dressing room, going, "There you go, boy, smell the glove." It stopped ten or one ten in a row. Now again on the program I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Gould came out and said that that's nonsense and. The team actually seen it spray painted somewhere and just started saying it to each other, and that's how it ended up in the t-shirt. I don't know whether that's a bit of <laughs> a bit of bluffing or what. That seems a bit of a strange one, but I mean, what, we what was it? What what was it about Andy Gorm that he had? I mean, 
I, I get that he was a, a great keeper for Rangers, but what was it about the whole Celtic thing that Celtic, every shot after shot or whatever it used to hit him? Mike, Mike Randall always said that he was just like a wall. I mean, he wasn't spectacularly good, but what do you think it was a mindset thing that we've seen over the current months of this current Celtic team that you maybe compare it to? Like it's a mental block that they're not going to score that day. What, what did you think it was in terms of that? I think it was partially that, but then you yourself would probably remember towards the end of Andy Gorm's career and playing for the likes of Mullerwell and stuff. Yes, yes, yeah. And it was the same story then when, ironically, I mean, with a far better team then. So he just always seemed to up his level against Celtic. I don't know. I don't know what it was because, I mean, and then there's like Rangers went into Europe and despite all their claims of, of one team for the league and one team for Europe, they were getting absolutely routed. And some of the goals Andy Gorm was conceding, you were looking at it going, how is this boy stopping us every time we play him? So, if, I if, you, if, you had, if you had to compare Gorham to uh, a recent keeper of Rangers, one springs to mind straight away because we, talk, we and you talk about him on WhatsApp all the time and how he does that because you look at him and be like, ah, he's just ordinary. But if, if you think about Al McGregor and his yeah. Rangers, Rangers career, it kind of goes towards Gorham because you're like he's just that one big excuse the, the phrase I'm going to use but one big B bastard who, who you can't fucking you seem to score past or he's just he's just there all the time give, giving yeah. it abuse do you know is that what you would say about Gorham yeah I mean similar to McGregor I mean there was games this season you know Rangers have won 1-0 and McGregor's maybe pulled off a crack and save and it was similar with Gorham Gorham was probably better against Celtic and McGregor was, but again, a lot of the time when McGregor was in playing for Rangers against Celtic, I would I would say that the Rangers team Gorham played him was probably better than some of the ones McGregor. So McGregor maybe had more to deal with as well against Celtic, yeah. but certainly I can see where you're coming from with a comparison, where in big moments he just, yeah. you know, big saves. It's, it's, like, it's basically what Celtic are missing this year, a Fraser Foster type keeper. But we'll, yeah. we'll, move, we'll move on to something a wee bit more happier. And the first trophy went to Celtic that season with uh, the League Cup, a 3-0 win over Dundee United. In terms of that victory, do you think that was like a, a catapult towards the end of the season to be like, yes, we can do this, we can take that title? And if, if so, what do, what do you think changed in the mindset at, at that particular time? I actually think the mindset changed slightly two games before that. Um, the week after we lost at Ibrox, I was over um, because we had to go to, there was two home games just after that. One was home to Motherwell and one was home to Dundee United. And the supporters club me and my uncle travelled with at the time to get tickets for the League Cup final. It was a case of go to one end two games. Unfortunately, we picked the Motherwell game that they lost 2-0. But we, we lost, we, had, we lost 2-0 with two or three goals disallowed that day. Reggie Blinker gets sent off for one of the stupidest elbows I think I've ever seen. And everything just seemed to be falling apart again. But then, after that game, we played Rangers that midweek, which was the rearranged derby. And yeah. Marco Negri scored. Um, and we absolutely battered him. And Alan Stubbs popped up in the last minute and equalised. And I think that gives the team a lot of belief to think, right, we can get at them. We can, you know, we can put up a fight here. And then, as you say, mm. you move on. They beat Dundee United, I think, 4-0 the week before, who they were playing again in the League Cup final. Went to Ibrox that day, scored twice in the first half in a matter of 
two or three minutes. Uh, Morton Weakhorse got the first one, if I remember right. No, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Morton Weakhorse either scored or set up the first one. It might have been Reaper, but the first one, anyway, was a header. Henrik hit the second one, and it deflected over the keeper and went in. And Craig Burley finished the job in the second half then. The place was absolutely bouncing. Um, I mean, Celtic got three stands that day in Ibrox. So, I mean, you can imagine the atmosphere. It was a, yeah. only the second trophy since, what, 1989? Yeah, no, that, that's correct. I mean, if you, if you look at it in terms of that, for any club winning that trophy, winning that first trophy of the season, it must give you that belief that you can do something because the years of dominating with the that Rangers team and Obviously, we know now that that Rangers team shouldn't have been, but sure, we'll have to move on from that, unfortunately. But yeah. that, that, that for me, would have been the point where you're like, right, come on, we can do this, we can move on, we can go. So by New Year, I think, if I'm correct as well, have written down that Celtic were involved for a freeway, kind of at the top. There was Hearts there lurking, there was Rangers, I think they were still top as well. I think we were four points adrift at the point. But in that New Year stage, you're looking at the table going, right, we're not that far off them. And we're going into that. We're going into the Rangers game quite soon. Um, we'll come on to that as well. So when you're looking at the the table in the year round as a Celtic fan, what's going through your mind? Is is it like don't drop no more points or the league's over? Or if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to win the league eventually? If when you're looking at at the table at that point, well, it wasn't quite don't drop any more points because despite I me mean, not Rangers team quite similar to this year, although. I mean, the Rangers team this year just haven't dropped points, but that Rangers team then, which, as I said before, had been winning travels and doubles and obviously nine, and just there seemed to be a difference that year. I don't know whether teams got a belief against them or similar, maybe, as people would say, that the Celtic team this year, it was just the end of an era. And despite the big signings in the summer, they hadn't replaced players correctly. You know, um, Marco Negri, as I say, getting injured was probably a big, big part of it as well. But it wasn't quite don't drop points or we're not going to do this. A lot of people at the time probably thought that if we didn't stop it, Hearts could because Hearts just wouldn't go away that season. Yeah, I think they were just constantly there. A bit like under, um, was it George Burley? If I'm yeah. correct, that was his name. Yeah, uh, that they were just always there and he got sacked, but sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh, on that. On that as well, you're going into that Rangers game in the New Year encounter, and you're thinking to yourself, "We can probably win this." Is that, is that is that what your thought was going into that? Because as we've seen, I think this was the time that Paul Lambert really, when he came into the four in that game. What was your memories yeah. of Paul Lambert in the Celtic shirt, especially that season? Well, with same Paul Lambert uh, from Borussia Dortmund, which at the time for Celtic, like, like that was a big signing. Um, they had won the European Cup the year before. The reason Lambert, apparently Lambert wanted to come back to Scotland. We were happy enough to, to take him, <laughs> take obviously. Um, but we also signed Harold Bratback right about that time. And yeah, Bratback, yes. yeah. Harold Bratback, I obviously, they're vague memories, but I remember him playing for Rosenborg then. And he always seemed to score in the Champions League. And you're thinking, we've got a good striker here. And then it just, it just didn't work out for him, it felt like. It just... But... I would say, in some ways, he wasn't have been as good for Celtic as the player I'm about to mention, but he had a similar trait in my eyes, as in he very rarely let his head go down, despite what was going on around him, mm-hmm. as Samaras. Oh, Sammy, what a player. What a player to bring up, yeah. Do you know, 
when I say that, there was games you could see brought back confidence, sort of dwindling, but then he would get in position for the next chance, and it was similar to Sammy, but I think the the, the Rangers game that we're, we're probably going to touch on next was a big thing we brought back because Gorm just stopped everything he had at him that day, and I think if he'd have scored in that game, he'd have just kicked on, you know, and yeah, I've got I've got down here in my notes as well. As you said, Celtic dominated that, that game or majority of that game, and brought back couldn't get past Gorm. I mean, there seemed to be like the constant thread of every Celtic striker, and then going into the game as well, you're always fearing of Rangers getting a draw or sneaking a win. But in the game, I think Jackie McNamara, from what I've seen and what I've read down, he played a fatal part in the, in the first goal, if I'm correct, for yeah. uh, Craig for Craig Burley. What's your memories of that goal? Watching that game, it just felt like the same old story. You know, you're missing mm-hmm. chance after chance. You're waiting on the sucker punch. And you're maybe thinking, you know, I think it, then there was a stat or something like, because they always play at a New Year derby then, which usually does still happen now, but doesn't happen every season. But mm-hmm. I think then it was something like, whoever won the New Year's derby had won the league the previous 12 or 13 seasons or something crazy like that. So you're yeah. going into that, and I mean, the pressures are, as I say, hearts weren't going away, and you're thinking to yourself, we really need to win this, because they needed to beat Rangers just to get that final bit of belief that, like, they're not they're not unbeatable, they're not unstoppable. Um, brought back, as I say, I can remember two or three. There was one in particular, and still to this day, I don't know how Andy Gorm got there, but I mean, that's, that's standard. There's a lot of chances down the years you could probably say that about and you're just yeah. thinking like we're all of them here the sucker punch is coming and luckily it didn't um, as you say the ball broke the jackie in the edge of the box there was a reverse pass that Craig Burley who slotted at home and for a minute you kind of looked and you were like oh he's offside there he wasn't Yeah. so you kind of thought oh he's offside you realise he wasn't you go to sell it then you think to yourself, hold on, it's Scotland, is the flag up? Luckily, the flag didn't go up. <laughs> if you look back at the footage, I think Burley even takes a glance at first to make sure before he starts celebrating. Um, obviously, the stadium was still being redeveloped then, but that day, the, the goal that Celtic scored the two goals in, who they put like a temporary stand-up yep. to fill that up as well. And, I mean, the place just went ballistic. And then, obviously... Yeah, but, Paul but, Lambert, but, absolute wonder goal. <laughs> but before we go on to that goal, which we're going to talk about, in terms of Paul Lambert, see when Craig Burley scored that goal, and, and as you said, it wasn't offside. Can you can you remember your feeling? What what did you feel straight away? Was it just pure delight, or was it relief? Because a lot of fans would be like, "Yeah, we're delighted, but it's more relief getting that goal because you know we can go and win this game." What was your feeling? It was a bit of both, and then obviously you're thinking to yourself, right, this Rangers team's coming back at us. But strangely that day, if I remember right, they seemed to almost, it almost seemed to knock them more than it galvanised us at the time, because I think because there was so many derbies that went the same way, and then we finally didn't let the sucker punch happen. Yeah, They just kind of went, wait, hold on, this is a different, we're dealing with something different here. In the game as well, I think there was a big penalty appeal. Do you remember that? I think it was uh, Colin Hendry. Uh, the ball went into the box and Alan Stubbs challenged for it. And um, Stubbs went down. 
I actually don't remember much about that. I, I do remember, like, we were more or less, before the Burley goal, and even to an extent after it, like, we were absolutely camped in and around their box. It was just, it just seemed to be wave after wave of attack from us. And I don't know whether maybe Walter Smith came that day looking at a point, thinking, we'll get the point, win the last derby at Ibrox, they'll drop more between then and we'll win then. I don't, I don't know what the thinking was, or maybe we were just that fired up to make sure that day that we won that game, you know. Yeah, and in, in terms of the game as well, like you said, we're we're dominating, we're getting in their faces, we're creating chances. When Paul Lambert scored that screamer, what in terms of a midfield player, as we always said, he was fighting to the team. But that class coming from Dortmund, winning the Champions League as well with them, it must have made a big difference to the whole squad. I mean, that must have galvanised them even more. What was your memories of that goal? Well, I think bringing Lambert in as a European Cup winner and stuff, the support went right, you know, maybe we're taking this a bit more seriously. And at the time, as I say, like, Bradback was probably, I wouldn't say one of the most sought-after strikers in Europe, but he certainly, you know, he was quality, like, for Rosenberg in the Champions League. Scored against some big teams, so he was coming with a reputation as well. So you're looking at it going, you know, maybe we're actually starting to play or try to play Rangers at their own game a wee bit. Um, obviously we done it legally, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the ball broke to Lambert and he hit it, I actually thought it was drifting wide, and then the uh, the crack off the post. I don't even know why Andy Gorn died to be fair, because no keeper was saving that. You know, I think, yeah, it's it's almost like as well, it was written the stars type of thing for Lambert to score that goal, wasn't it? I mean, when he, as you said, he came to Celtic at that reputation, and it, we only really got him because he wanted to come back home, otherwise he wouldn't have probably wore a Celtic shirt, maybe towards the end of his career, yes, but not in his prime, so to speak. When that, when that ball broke to him and he scored that goal, then you're thinking to yourself, yes, we've done it, we can go for this title. Now, what yeah. I'm going to say to you next you brought up a very good point. I didn't even realise this point when I was doing my research, but I'm going to say a name to you, and I want to tell. I want you to tell me what comes to mind, right? right. So the, the name I'm going to throw to you, who seems to have played a big part in this for whatever reason. I mean, you can educate me on this, but Bobby yeah. Tate, what was oh. his, what was his Bobby. role in the, this tenth season? Tell me, because I really want to know. Right, Bobby Tate. There's two games that stick out, and the first one. I don't want to definitely say it was Bobby Tate, but the second one definitely was, and it worked against him, and it was beautiful. But Bobby Tate, that was Bobby Tate's last season as a referee, and without going too in-depth, Bobby Tate would have been the same sort of school as your Hugh Dallas's and uh, your McCurry's. So you can imagine what Celtic, right? So there was a game in March away to Hearts, and as I say, I'm not 100% confident that it was Bobby Taylor's referee. Something tells me it was. It might not have been. Somebody maybe be able to correct us on that. But we were 1-0 up. And Hearts were still were still there at the time. Mm-hmm. And the player. And the player. And this was, you know, them days, you, if you weren't there, you, you were waiting on teletext or whatever to tell you what the crack was. And, you know, you're waiting and the game's not over and the game's not over. And... Your Monday what's going on? And Jose Quitongo popped up and equalised. And the Hearts fans went ballistic. And they're not straight away. As soon as the game kicked off, the whistle was blue. And you're going, well, where did all that injury time come from? Was it played a hard score? Like, what's going on here? But as I say, whether or not that one was Bobby Tate, 
I'm not 100% yeah. sure. Something tells me it was. But the second one definitely was. And this story, absolutely brilliant. So uh, you're probably going to talk about the old firm games in April. But we'd lost, yeah. lost at Ibrox. And obviously then there was a couple of draws at home as well. I think one was the Mullerwell. And then the third last game of the season with Drew at home to Hibs. Now, if I remember right, that was the game that relegated Hibs. So you're thinking, like, that's two massive points dropped. We've let them in here. like, And they were at home to Kilmarnock the next week. And as I said before, Bobby Tate's last season as a referee, his last game was that game. He'd hand-picked it. He wanted the referee. His last game at Ibrox. And they were drawn nil-nil. And Bobby Tate played on and played on and played on. And the next thing, while Kilmarnock pop up, 1-0, and then it puts us in a position to go to Dunfermline and start the team. <laughs> and it was Brilliant. absolutely beautiful because he'd hand-picked it, obviously, trying to help them win the team, and it completely yeah. backfired on him. See, I've got, I've got down here, I, I don't know if it's a quote, but I got it, and it says, his beloved Ibrox. I mean, but Bobby Tate is... Go ahead, sorry. It's sorry, if if I'm right, the Kilmarnock goal scorer that day was Ali Mitchell. And there is rumours that obviously Radio Scotland or whatever were doing the thing. So it cuts to Radio Scotland. But before it cut, whoever it was, was going over said there's been a goal at Ibrox. Everybody obviously thinks, oh no, Ranger scored late on. And the next thing the commentator says, and Super Ali. So obviously you're thinking Ali McCoy's because that's what the Rangers fan calling. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't that super alley, it was in a sense our super alley. Ali Mitchell popped up with the winner and I mean That's brilliant. I mean in terms of in terms of Bobby Tate, like was it well known he was a Rangers fan? Like is it definitely true that he was? Or was it just in them games it, you could definitely tell he was? It's a hundred percent he had picked that game as his last game before he retired. So oh, I mean obviously I was I was 11 then, so, I mean, the referees wouldn't have been as much as a focus as they would become for me in that sense. But, yeah. I mean, you certainly picked up other things even then. But apart from, as I say, his link to that one, possibly two games that I've mentioned, the name wouldn't really stick out to me the way the likes of Hugh Dallas mm-hmm. would. But certainly, yeah. I would say, I mean, if he's handpicking a... A Rangers home game is his last game before retirement. Two games to go in a season where they're going for ten in a row. You can kind of imagine yeah, where he's leaning. Put two and two together there, like can't you? It's it's like what does that actually point to, Ryan? If if you think about it, if referees, I mean, I don't think in this day and age they can formally request games because there has to be a lot of background checks, and obviously, if you support certain clubs, you can't do certain games. But if if you look at that in that season, in your opinion. Now, you can be as controversial as you want to be here. I, I really don't mind. So I want your opinion on because I find it good. In terms of Bobby Tate picking that game, what does that point to you from the higher hierarchy of the SFA at that point? Well, do you I've, think I've that never, was... Never, ever have I heard of a referee hand picking a game before or after in my life. So, I mean, if we go back to a season or two before that, when we sang George Cadet, there's a lot of people think we'd have stopped. I think that was the eight in a row season. Uh, I think a lot of people are of the opinion we'd have stopped it that year because we only lost one league game with far, yeah. far too many draws. Some of them, ironically, would have been after Cadet should have been in the team, but mm-hmm. is saying that held up 
the name escaped me by the head of the SFA at the time. Celtic had to argue and argue, and it was April, I think, before we got him in the team, and he scored. It was four and four or five and five once he came in, and you're looking at it going, well, you know, we only lost the league by a couple of points. If he'd have played a couple of them draws, does he turn them into wins? Do we stop them winning eight? You know, it points to basically everything being Rangers or the establishment club, and there's no other way to look at it. I mean, as you said there as well, uh, my, my granddaughter swears by that about George Cadetti. He, he's always saying to me about that when we're talking about that era because that signing got held up in red tape for weeks, weeks and weeks. And it, it's almost like, as you said, the SFA were just trying to push that agenda to get Rangers to win this 10. Well, but, that year would have been the year after Tommy won the Scottish Cup for us. And yeah, Pierre banging them in. You'd, I think it was Simon Donnelly's like, proper first like big big season in the first team. Obviously, the Canio yeah. came a season after, but you know. So going forward, like we were probably similar to now. The problems were always at the back, but Tommy's attitude seemed to be we'll just outscore teams. And I mean, in some ways, that's what you know Celtic fans want. The one good attack of football. So when mm-hmm. we're bringing in Cadet, you're thinking right here we go. But then, as I say, it got held up with red tape and all oh, was. Yeah, my granddad always says to me as well, Tommy Burns was an excellent manager. I know we're a bit back and off topic here, but we'll, we'll go back to that. But Tommy Burns had Celtic playing amazing football points. And it's just unfortunate at that time the Rangers team were so rampant because as, as we've well established, the team they had was uh, gained more or less illegally, being confirmed. But yeah, we'll move on to, as you said, the other old firm games in, this, in the 10th season. And I have down here in my notes, there was defeats in the Scallies Cup and the, a league doubleheader as well with Rangers, if that's correct. Now, the at, at that point... And league doubleheader, yeah, two weeks in a row. Yeah, so at that point, Ran, as a Celtic fan, are you thinking, ah, this is it done, they're going to win the league? Well, I don't remember, I actually don't remember much about the Scottish Cup game, apart from the fact that we let, similar to McManaman, York Albert pick a ball in the halfway line, and he ran, and he scored. So the week mm-hmm. you go to Ibrox, I think it was maybe five games, six games to go in the season, and you're thinking, I can't really afford to lose this game. And then yeah. Jonas Thurm scores a wonder bolt. Like it was I don't think he'd ever hit a ball like that in his life. Unlike Lambert, because I mean most of Lambert's goals for Celtic were were something special. But yeah. I mean he caught one in the volley and absolutely flew past goal and then same as the week before, I actually remember watching it and watching it at my uncle's. And Albert picked the ball up and straight away he's going tackle him, tackle him. And they just backed off and let him run. And your Albert scored. And I remember my uncle turning to me and going, That's it, they've done the 10. That like that was the attitude, you know, not the attitude because obviously like you hoped that it would be stopped, but yeah. that was the season, losing in that derby, just you wondered how it was going to affect Celtic. In terms of as well, like obviously that happened, the double header and stuff, which must have been a better blow to the chances. And as you said, your uncle straight away said that's the end of the 10. But yeah. what also happened around about that time, there was strong rumours that Wim Janssen was actually looking for an exit clause out of Celtic towards the end of the season. And again, that name comes up. He fell out with um, Jack Brown. Do you yeah. remember any, anything much about that? Did that unsettle the team at that point? I don't know what sort of effect that did have. I remember, again, the press jumping all over it. That's probably where I remember more about Jack Brown, you know, falling out with a win. 
Um, yeah. Ironically, I don't think Wynn really done much in management apart from stopping the ten. Do you know? Obviously, no. yeah. He, he was part of the he was part of the fan team that beat the Lisbon Lions in nineteen six or nineteen seventy. This that was when the European Cup again, but so there was always a link to Celtic with him. But obviously, this one's a better link. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Janssen thing, I think. When kind of wanted back more, do you know? I don't know whether he looked across the city and he was going right. Hold on a minute, they're bringing in players from Juventus, Fiorentina, yeah. uh, Roma. Do you know? And going, yeah. What, what What do you want me to do here, sort of thing? But yeah, the Jack Brown thing was a strange one. Um, but I mean, there was never really. It kind of was like. When's gonna go? And then it was he was seeing out the season, and then he wasn't going. And then more or less, once the season was over, he was gone. You know, mm. it's it's almost like not not in the sense of this, but do, do you maybe think to yourself as well when he stopped the ten, he was like that pressure was a, maybe a bit too much, or do you think it was more the case of he wanted back and wanted to build his own team? I mean, because you can look at it in both fronts. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think, and he wanted to build his own team. I mean. <sighs> We'll always be thankful for Wim for stopping the 10 and giving us Henry. Oh, but, yes. like, as I said earlier, you know, as much as everybody probably wishes it was Tommy Burns and the dugout that season, you kind of look back now and you go, if Tommy had a been there, would the pressure have been way too much on Tommy and we wouldn't get anywhere near stopping it? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost like now as well. You, you see this in a, in a wee bit with Lenny because the people with the Southwick connections sometimes... They live it too much. They they're in their heads twenty four seven trying to figure out ways to do things. But then you you, yep. you go towards like a, a European coach who comes in with uh not 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 so much not knowing Celtic but not having that connection and that expressing themselves different training methods to getting the players in tune. And I think yep. I get what you mean there because Tommy Burns he lived and breathed Celtic. That was his whole life, and he came back to the club yep. under Strachan as well. So when Janssen in that way, we we do thank him for that. In terms of him leaving, do you think, looking back on it, it was a good thing because it led to O'Neill? Or do, would you have liked him, liked him stayed a wee bit longer? Well, I mean, I don't know whether you'd necessarily say it was a good thing because we had to go through John Barnes first. But, um, <laughs> yeah. well, we got to Vangloss, And I actually think history looks unfairly on Vangloss. You know, Vangloss brought us Lubo, he brought us Mialbe and I mean, Rangers went out that summer. I mean, they brought in Dick Advocat. I think that was a summer they signed Kloss, they signed Oliver Newman. You know, they went out. And yeah. It's almost like, right, you've got the title off us. We're going to spend as much as it's going to take to get it back. And it was, yeah. you know, to me, maybe when being there, it would have been a different story that season. But I don't think yeah. with the money they spent that summer, we would have won the league no matter what was going on. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. But we'll, we'll track back to the 10 season. You, you've already touched upon their, the Tate game, the infamous game against Kilmarnock, but we're, now we're going to talk about the Dunfermline game that would would have sealed Celtic the, the title that day if they had a won. Yep. In that game leading into it, were you confident we, that we were going to actually win that game and even quite comfortably as well? Maybe not comfortably, but you know, you thought, right, it's in touch and distance. Don't not blow this. Um, we'd already booked to go over for the last game of the season and obviously once the Kilmarnock game happened you're thinking 
They'll beat Dunfermline and we're going to over here for a title party and there's going to be no pressure on the game and it's just going to be a brilliant day out. Aye, but the, in in that game itself, I think we, did we go one 0 up? Wasn't that correct? And we we were um, yeah. dom, dominating the game. And you you sent me a name last night when we were talking about what we're going to speak about that I've never heard of in my life. And you're going to say it now. Go ahead. <laughs> so Simon Donnelly gave us a lead that day, and again, like Burley, some of the goals Simon Donnelly scored that season were really important. Uh, again, didn't maybe leave in the best terms. History. Again, I mean, if he'd have been the man at the top of the 10, how do, you, how do you let him go then? But yeah. Craig fucking Falkenbridge, excuse my French, I will never forget that name. I've he I never from heard the, of him. From Coventry, and oh my God. Was that a header he scored? Yeah, what, a Lucas header? Somebody just humped the ball into the box, and he put it, and it just looped. And I don't know whether Gould had come out to meet the cross or whatever, but it just absolutely looped up and Gould was just enough off his line and it looked down over him and, and you just thought, oh no, typical hero goes, I like want to blow this. It, it was and, just... And, in terms of that as well, like, that he scores that goal and it finishes one each and the title race goes into the last day of the season and you're, you're looking at it, I think Celtic at home to St. Johnson and Rangers were away to Dundee United. So you're looking at that, and I think as well, it does. If Celtic had a won, they would have won the league anyway. Is that correct? They would have won the league, no matter what the result would have been at the at Rangers to Dundee. Is that correct? Yes. On the last day, basically, Celtic won. It didn't matter if basically we had the match Rangers result. Ah, if right, I remember, okay. or better, as in if they drew or got beat and we drew or won, then so. But I mean. It probably in some ways might have been better than one of the Dunfermline because obviously, I mean, Celtic Park full of brim. I mean, there was a nervous, nervous tension that could have quite easily spilled onto the pitch. So, yeah. you know, maybe when the, the week before it would have been better, where everybody just could have went over, title party, no pressure, all the rest of it. But then, of course, Henrik done what Henrik done so many times down the years. <laughs> I mean, it's quite fitting that uh, soon-to-be Celtic Legend after that scored a goal in, in that game and things. But in terms of that game itself, I've done research, and yes, it sounds boring, but I know it was sunny, okay? <laughs> and it was, the sun was shining over yep. Celtic Park that day. And as you said, there was this nervous energy around Celtic Park. If you could uh-huh. paint the picture for me for that game, what way did it pan out in your own point of view? I just remember, obviously... As I said, I was 11 when the time was stopped. So, like, my uncle and all his mates and all were just absolutely, like, we can't lose this. We've got to win this game. We can't let Rangers get 10. Probably similar to what we were thinking this season. Like, where you're thinking if Celtic do 10, it'll be 11, 12, 13, sort of almost as many as they want, so to speak. I mean, that was the thought. You know, if Rangers get 10, how many is it going to be? Um, yeah. And as I say, it was the send-off for... Walter Smith was leaving, if I remember right. McCoyce was going, Loudrop was going. So, I mean, Gorham, I think, maybe left that season as well. So, you you, you had big players leaving Rangers, and they're all looking to, to go out in the high, so to speak. So, I mean, so, they would have been absolutely no doubt what it was all about. So, you were just kind of hoping for Celtic to be similar, or moments of magic yeah. to happen. And, Henrik certainly provided one early that day. 
thankfully. And I've got down here as well, the player you mentioned actually brought back, he scored in this game, didn't he? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, so in, we, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, so in terms of in, in terms of that then, in terms of brought back, why in, in that game he'd I'd say uh, Jackie McNamara played the ball to him and he scored. So yeah. and how come that didn't catapult him and uh, having a better Celtic career, so to speak, in, t- in terms of scoring goals left, right and centre, him and Larson being the main men? What do you think happened there? I think brought back like the ball played in behind to run onto. And yeah. Celtic at the time, and then the season after, when he was still there, didn't play like that. Um, I could be wrong on that. It could just be it was one of those moves that never fully worked out. But, I mean... Since that day, I've done the, the stadium tour at Parkhead, and they actually have Brad Back's boots from that game in like a glass cabinet thing. As yeah. so, I mean, again, it's a name that's that's always going to be etched in Celtic history. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Sometimes, even for years of Celtic, there is names in the history books that didn't have a brilliant career, but they popped up in a final moment and a final moment in Celtic's history in terms of. Brought back scored that goal as well to stop the ten along with Henrik. And we also know we also know as well, obviously Rangers were winning at Dundee United at the time as well. So when that game was going on, particularly in the second half, how how did you feel in the second half towards the final thirty minutes of that game? Were you nervous? Were you confident? Get paint me a picture, how did you feel? Well if if we go back, as I say, Henrik I can still see Henrik picking the ball up now, cutting in, curling it in the bottom corner after six, seven minutes. So you get the early goal and you're thinking, right. This is going to be comfortable. We're not going to make an edge. We're going to... And then, of course, being at Celtic, do they do things like that? So, St. <laughs> Dustin had a striker at the time, George O'Boyle, and he missed two or three absolute sitters. There's one sticks out. And if I remember, Gould misses the cross. And all he had... You're looking at it going, oh, my God, all he has to do is make contact. And somehow he heads the ball over the bar. And even then, you're thinking oh my God, Like there's going to be another moment like that. They're going to equalise. And then Tom Boyd picks the ball up, runs up line, plays a pass to Jackie. Jackie scores it and brought back. I don't know whether maybe this was a difference as well because when the ball came over that day, he doesn't stop and think. He just sweeps the ball into... And maybe that's what it was. Maybe mm. other chances he'd give himself too much time to think where that one was just instinctive. But I remember up until brought back scored, I mean... I think everybody was just waiting on an equaliser or something going horribly wrong and them getting the 10. But from yeah. that moment, Bradback's goal to the end of the game was just absolute relief. I mean, as I say, obviously, my uncle and all his mates would remember better like those years and all they kept saying to each other was, we've done it, we've done it. And I mean, yeah. there was tears, there was relief. It was just... And then, obviously... Cheerio 10 the row ringing around the stadium for <laughs> what felt like I think it rang around the stadium the whole way up the road to the boat the whole boat home the boat terminal and I mean you're walking through the boat terminal maybe one or two in the morning Cheerio 10 the row and you can <laughs> you know, your plan sitting there do you know that it maybe went over with her head down and oh, it was the last one brought back forward like it was just it was, it was a completely different day See, in terms of the game as well, Ren, you say Bradback scored there. What was, I know you said the crowd and all were saying that, but 
what was it like? Did it give you goosebumps where you're just flying on that adrenaline rush? Because I've been to some Celtic matches and one springs to mind uh, in particular against RB Leipzig and the atmosphere that, that night was unbelievable. I think it was probably the best atmosphere I've been at. What was it like for you? Was it just amazing? The noise for both goals was unreal. I mean, I think the second one, at the precise moment he scored was more a relief. Henrik's one was more Obviously, it was earlier in the game. Henrik scores. You're thinking, this is going to be comfortable. We're going to be all right here. Where a lot, a lot of nerves had built up by the time Bradback scored. But the atmosphere after it, like, it was just... I, you would, The only way to put it, and I mean, it, it's impossible to do, but to me, you would have had to have been there. It really was goosebumps. And as I say, for most of the rest of the game, I think it was just cheerio, tenero. And as I say... That Rangers team, you know, Walter Smith going, Gorham was leaving, Gordon Jury, I think Durant was still there, uh, Stuart McCall, Ali McCoy, like they were losing a lot of big, big names. Yeah. So before they basically threw money at it the summer, you're maybe looking at it thinking, you know, are they going to fall apart with losing so many big players? Is this going to be the start of something? Obviously, it wasn't until Martin came in, but. Yeah. So you know that's maybe how it was being looked at right at that moment. Yeah, because it's like when they lost that, you're thinking we could go on with a period of dominance here. And obviously you touched yeah. upon there, that didn't really happen until O'Neill came in. But in terms of the, the party and the celebrations and stuff, as a Celtic fan, and I know you said you were 11 at that time, but I mean, for me, I would have just been overjoyed. I would have been like overcome with just pure excitement and acceleration. Is that how you felt? At the end of that yeah, season? I remember the bus going up and I actually think it was a different route than what it would have normally went, but it went up through all the like tenement flats and stuff in Glasgow and the bus going absolutely bonkers because we were going past flats and there was ones out with Celtic flags and all obviously celebrating and then you got the odd one and you went past and there was boys out with Rangers flags and all and the whole bus is going bonkers at them. The boat the whole way home. I think the boat <laughs> bounced on that night. Like it was just, it was a party yeah. on the boat. It was, oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, for me, Ryan, that I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, in terms of the podcast, we have touched upon all the bases, which is fantastic. I mean, we've done it in a, an hour, I think so, which is great. And I do hope whoever listens to this podcast just gets a bit of excitement, a bit of joy back in. I know supporting Sally Man is quite a bit of a drag. But, Ren, I want to say thank you to you because your knowledge of that is excellent. And have you have you enjoyed being on the show? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I hope you do come back on because we do plan more Celtic rewinds in the future in the coming weeks about the European nights and things like that, O'Neill's era. So that's stuff to look forward to. But I do hope generally from the bottom of my heart that this podcast and Stopping 10 is quite ironic because I know what, what we're going for this season, but just brings you back to them times when it was a bit easier not easier, but a bit more enjoyable towards the end of the season. Maybe not during it. Just supporting the Celtic and getting behind our team and getting behind the club for what we stand for. Because at the moment, it's definitely what we stand for, the way it's going on. So I want to thank you, Rand. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having and me on. Until, yeah, no worries. And until next time, Rand, it'll be a, a pleasure speaking to you again in the future. Just want to say to everyone, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail.